the unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. In today's episode, we're going to go over some current Bengals headlines. Stephen Ruiz, writer for USA Today, is also going to stop by to talk about the AFC North and how the Bengals are going to fare this season. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. And Sands is going to discuss the safety group today and some other defensive concepts. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights, best page on Instagram. Great highlights, great music, something you guys definitely got to check out. I'd also like to thank the Zedia Network for continuing to bring on the heavyweight guests, as you're going to hear with Stephen Ruiz today. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. All right, let's get started with the show. Bengals Headlines All right, we're less than three weeks away from the season. They already had their first scrimmage. They're in pads right now. Everything is moving along. I cannot wait for the season to start. I'm excited to talk about the scrimmage and analyze some of the stuff that happened by position group, but I want to go over some headlines first. And unfortunately, a lot of the headlines have to do with injuries. So I guess the main headline of right now is A.J. Green with the tweaked hamstring. We're going to address this more in the McLevy Minute, but I did want to touch on it now that it does concern me. As receivers get older, you know, they're more prone to injury, especially some of those tall receivers. If you think about the history of the game, there's not many 6'4", 6'5", receivers that went on to have massively long careers. I know there's exceptions. I know you have your Randy Mosses, and I'm sure there's about a dozen other guys that you guys can name that also were very tall receivers that had long careers. But it just kind of worries me that the injuries are just starting to stack up, even the minor ones like hamstrings. I mean, that, that can linger for a long time. So I'm okay with them just shutting him down the rest of preseason. You know he's going to be ready for week one as long as his body's ready. You know, his mind is going to be ready. He's going to know how to run his roots and catch the ball. So he's going to lose a little bit of chemistry with Burrow in the meantime by not being able to practice with him. But all we can do is try to get a healthy A.J. Green to the line on week one. Because a lot of times when you think about it in the past, every season it feels like we go in and we're really deep at receiver. And then an A.J. Green injury happens, and you start thinking, wow, we don't really have the one that they're going to double cover. Nothing against Tyler Boyd. Obviously, he's great. He's going to have a monster year. But it just seems that we lack without A.J. in there, no matter how many good receivers that we have. So I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. Please get back in the lineup, A.J. We need you for a couple more years while we make these Super Bowl runs. Now, I think they're going to keep seven wide receivers. I can't see them waving Mike Thomas. And you know everyone else of that top six is going with Higgins, Tate, Ross, Green, Boyd, and Erickson. So the odd man out is probably going to be Stanley Morgan, and I'm hoping they can slide him over to the practice squad. If some of the other teams around the league realize how good he is on special teams, it might be hard to sneak him there, but we're going to give it a shot, and he'll probably be the number eight receiver on the practice squad. And, you know, receivers are prone to injuries, so there's no reason why Stanley Morgan can't make it to the active squad eventually. Also, another major injury is Sean Williams. This happened just a little bit after I released my last episode. So again, this news is a couple days old. But they carted him off the field. He's got a calf injury. Again, you're going to see a lot of these soft tissue injuries happen because they haven't had the normal training camp and preseason that these guys have done for their whole lives. So these injuries are to be expected. They're saying Sean Williams is going to come back for game one, and I'm crossing my fingers on that. Because when you think about it, we have four safeties, and you know maybe Trayvon Henderson makes the roster now as a fifth safety. 
So we're fairly thin there. So let's hope Sean Williams comes back strong. And let's hope there's not a lot of injuries at that position, because if there are, we're going to have to pick up someone off the waiver wire. The other injury, and we talked about it last week, we're going to go into it a little more in the McLevy minute, is Trey Wayne's out for the year. So now there's going to be a rotation at corner to try to fill his spot. And, you know, most of those guys are pretty even, so I'm not sure who's going to emerge. It's probably going to be Darius Phillips, but all the guys behind him are kind of all in the same grouping. So hopefully between the three, four, five of them, we can get some productive snaps on that side. Because William Jackson is going to have a good year on the other side. We have the safeties in place as long as they stay healthy. Just need to make sure that either by committee or with one of those guys standing out, that we can handle that other cornerback position. Because teams are going to target it. Two more injuries to discuss are Rennell Wren going to the IR. Tough break in his second year. I don't know what to say. I hope that he has enough time to come back strong for next year and salvage his career. And Jordan Evans. Jordan Evans, we talked about him as well. He transformed his body. They actually started him in the scrimmage. It was actually looking like he was going to make the roster. And now with this injury and getting carted off the field, I don't know if it's soft tissue. I don't know if it's a knee. I guess we're going to wait to hear the results on that. But really tough break for a guy who knew his career was at the crossroads and worked his tail off to transform his body in an attempt to stay in the NFL. Real big shame here. Jordan, I hope you're back more sooner than later. Now on the positive news, we welcome T. Higgins back into training camp, which is a good thing. He needs to get that chemistry with Burrow. He needs to get those NFL snaps. Again, it takes a while for rookie receivers to get adjusted, so the more time that he gets, the better. But don't rush him back. Don't rush him back because if you do and that hamstring lingers... He's going to have a wasted rookie season. We don't want that. Even if you have to wait until week one to really get him back into speed, it's worth it rather than rush him now. I know he needs the development, and that's almost as important. But again, I don't want him going full bore the next two weeks, blowing out the hamstring again, and then this whole year he can't run full speed because he has hamstring issues. And the other good news this week is John Ross is back. And the more I read about him and the stuff that he says and does and how hard he works out and been training with Hushmanzada all offseason, I, I really, really like this guy. I always have. He's a Bengal. He's a high pick. You know, he had that massive combine run, which really made him a celebrity. But I'm going to go back to two things that he said that make me say, wow, I really like this guy. One is when he explained having to go away to take care of his son, he said family comes first. And at anyone listening to this podcast and myself, you know we go crazy for football. And it is really my favorite thing to do in the world is to watch football, analyze football, back in the day even to play football. So I understand how important the game is. But he's willing to say, hey, my family comes first. I'll go out publicly and say, my family comes first. My three-year-old son is the most important thing in the world to me. So I respect that. John, I know I said that last week, but really class move. I'm glad you did what you did. I heard that you were working out like a madman at 2 in the morning, even when you were out in California. So you didn't lose much. Maybe you saved yourself from some scrimmage injury or something crazy like that. So it worked out. And the second thing that Ross said was that if I were the Bengals, I wouldn't pick up my option either. What transparency, you know, what self-awareness, what honesty. That's what we all thought. That's what we all kind of knew. And he wasn't going to just overlook that and say, hey, I deserve the extension. I want the money. Where's my money? You know, he self-analyzed and said, yeah, you know, I was hurt these first couple years. I didn't do 
I didn't accomplish what a first-round pick in the draft should have accomplished by this point in time, so I don't blame the Bengals for not paying me. Again, another class move. These two things make me just want to root for this guy more than ever. And let's quickly go over John Russ's career, because it's been a pretty crazy career. So he's lights out in college. He breaks the record at the Combine. The Bengals draft him. We're wondering, wow, they took a receiver high. But he was so fast, and he ran that... 40 so quickly, it was just so attractive to get, hey, the fastest guy that ever ran at the Combine. So as Bengal fans, we're all excited to have him come in. So he comes in rookie year, like a rookie receiver, not going to be an all-pro right away. It takes a little time to get adjusted. So what happens is rookie year, he's running with the ball, making an excellent run through traffic. I think he got like 12 yards or so, and then somebody hit him from behind, he fumbles the ball, bad break. Something that you live and learn with as a rookie, a little more ball security, we get it. He didn't have to worry about that as much in college because no one could touch him. Then a little bit later, maybe a game or two later, they send him on a deep route and it looks like the ball's overthrown and he kind of gives up a little bit on the deep route and it, when after you see the ball land, you're kind of thinking it's catchable. And then he got on Marvin Lewis's bad side and I wasn't sure if Marvin just didn't like him from the start because Marvin wanted a defensive player there or some other player and was unhappy that he kind of got overruled by Mr. Tobin and Mr. Brown. So I almost think he had a little bit of a vendetta against Ross. And I love Marvin, and I'm not accusing him of anything in that regard. But, you know, he ended up benching Ross and really messing with his head year one. And Ross, you know, he came in with an injury. He made a couple mental mistakes. And next thing you know, he's just not in the starting lineup anymore. That's that's bad for your self-esteem. So I think his rookie year was kind of sabotaged by those things. And then he comes in year two, battles injury again, Not really any kind of go-to receiver. He does have the seven touchdowns. Crazy that most of them are in the red zone. But hey, he shows he can get open in small space. And obviously we know he can get open deep down the field. And then what happens last year? He starts those first two games like, hey, you know, we got an all-pro here. And then injury strikes again. So that kind of curtailed his third year. Although he did have 500 yards in basically half a season. So he is capable of getting 1,000. And... So the first three years have not been quite what we wanted out of Ross up to this point, but he still has the potential. Now he's got Joe Burrow throwing to him. Burrow's going to find all those guys. He's going to find them on their best routes too. I'm looking forward to Ross breaking out this year. You can tell he's a good guy from the things he says. You can tell he's a superstar athlete from his measurables and the limited time that he's played in the game. So, John Ross, let's go, bro. Let's go. This is your year. I don't want to see you have a mediocre year and then go to some other team. I want to see the Bengals say, we cannot live without this guy, and you get the big deal next year. And the last headline of the week is another piece of bad news, and I don't want to keep bringing bad news. Hopefully, when the season starts, it's all going to be good news. But Rodney Anderson got waived. And if you've listened to the podcast, I've I probably dedicated more time to him than than most people have in their podcasts but he has NFL talent and this is the shame about the NFL obviously he's gone they're not going to pick him back up and here's the deal with someone like this he he is capable of playing in this league just like Ryan Glasgow was but the injuries and the NFL doesn't have patience for injuries you know he tore his his ACL less than a year ago and there he is fighting to stay healthy, going through the physical. You know those NFL physicals. They, they really run you. They make sure that, you're, that you can handle it. And his body wasn't ready for it. You know, think about that in your life. Think about tearing a major ligament in your knee and trying desperately as hard as you can to prove that you're healthy at an elite level. 
you know, it's it's not enough time in most cases. Yeah, you hear some guys recovering, you know, eight months or so, and they're back to semi-normal, but it's not that easy. So here's the harsh reality. Rodney Anderson, he's now labeled damaged goods. He failed an NFL physical. I don't think any other team is going to pick him up now based on, hey, you know, he had a great college career. He played great in a couple Bengals preseason games. You know, everyone's got their own guys already. So in his case, he's on the outside looking in. And then if you move on to the future, next year, it's going to be all the new guys coming up again. So even though, you know, he's got to prove that he's healthy, it's going to be hard for him to get a shot at a roster next year. So this is the life of a late round or undrafted college prospect. You know, a couple bad breaks and it could really change your life. So I'm hoping that Rodney can come back. You know, as I'm saying this, you never know. Maybe some team will pick him up on the waiver wire this year that I'm I'm not realizing. I mean, I hope it happens. And either way, just rehab yourself. Get yourself well for next year. Hopefully you'll get another shot at the NFL. And if not, you know, just make sure that your body's okay and, and, you know, move on with your life. All right, hopefully that's the last we're going to talk about injuries for a long time. Let's focus on the exciting stuff. They had the scrimmage. I didn't get to actually see the scrimmage like most of us, but I have read a lot about it, and there's been some excellent reports. And on Instagram, some people had some really detailed stuff about it, which is good. You know, so I was able to educate myself on what happened in the game. So from what I hear, there was two different periods. One, they called it a thud period, I think, where you could, I guess, hit but not bring to the ground. And then part two, I guess, was more live where you could actually bring guys to the ground. So let's go by position group and quickly rifle through some analysis on what happened in that scrimmage. So Joe Burrow right away comes out of the gate firing. You kind of figured that. You kind of figured his adrenaline would be up. They they took out, they had, I guess, a few defensive starters in the very beginning, but for the most part, it was a mix of one and twos. So he went six for six, right down the field, touchdown pass. He was fighting Auden Tate all day, which is great. Um, he was 13 for 18, which is over 70% completion percentage, which is exactly where you want him to be. He had the three touchdowns. He did it without his main receivers. I think he, I think Boyd was in there for a little bit, but mostly he got it done with Thomas, Tate, and Erickson. So that's pretty cool that he was able to use those guys effectively, and I think that's going to be the case with him. I think... You know, like the greats, like they say about Tom Brady, you could have thrown anybody out there with him. He's going to he's gonna get them the ball. So I think all of these guys, all six, seven, possibly eight of these receivers are going to get a lot of action this year. This guy's going to find him. Finley had a good game. That's great to hear. Let's root for him. I don't want to hear he played bad in those three games. We don't want him on the team anymore. Give the guy a shot. He's got a good head for the game. I know the arm strength might not be there, but... Maybe he's just Burrow's backup and he can come in and be an intelligent game manager or maybe even, you know, make some game-breaking plays. Let's see what happens with his career. But it was nice to see him do well in the scrimmage. Again, against second and third squad guys, but it was still, it's better than him tanking. And if you go to the Miami Dolphins, and again, this is just scrimmages, intra-squad, so you can't really tell too much by this. But Tua struggled. So it's pretty crazy. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that we got Burrow and... Nothing went wrong last year, and we ended up with two. I know it's early to say that, but uh, it's great to see that Burrow's leading an offense and playing productively already. And unfortunately, another AFC rookie quarterback isn't. Running back. So they didn't do much with the starters in this scrimmage, which is good. Please don't get Mixon hurt. I'm glad they only had a few snaps for him and Bernard. You let the other guys get in there and show what they can do. 
and apparently they showed what they can do. And it's good to see these backups taking advantage, and it's two guys that have the size to be that every down back. So it's nice. It's not like we had two little scat backs excel against second and third stringers. We had two guys that pound the ball get in there and do very well. So let's take it from the offensive perspective first. Samaje Perrine, again, he's 240 pounds. They said he was just running all over the place. And Jacques Patrick, he was actually the star of the scrimmage from what I read. So it's really good to see these guys on track. And and I think they're both going to make the squad. I don't know how they're going to fit it. You know, Does that mean there's five running backs? We'll address that when we go over the final roster in another week or two. But these guys are making a good case for staying on this roster. And I'm pulling for both of them. Now, the negative side of those guys running like crazy is what was going on with the run defense. You know, for these guys to be running all over the place, you just wonder, was there any kind of deficiency on the defensive line? Were the linebackers out of gaps or not tackling properly? I I don't know what went into that. Because you didn't hear a lot about the linebackers in this. All I heard was that Bynes and Evans started, and they rotated everyone in, and the rookies looked quick. But I didn't really hear anybody make great plays on the linebacking core. But again... It's early, and again, when you're dealing with mostly rookies, they're not going to be superstars on their first scrimmage, so I'm not feeling that negative on it. I just would have liked to have heard a little more out of the linebackers, and it would have been nice to not have two big running backs just storm all over your second and third team. But let's jump back to the offense. So I heard that Drew Sample had a great game, which is big news. That's We're going to the tight end position real quick. I think Mason Schreck had a touchdown or a, a big play, and I know that Drew Sample went right down the seam for another big play, and they said he was he cleaned up on a couple blocks. So let's hope that that second rounder comes into form. Glad he had a good scrimmage. Defensive line. So I'm not sure if the defensive line was at fault by those runs by Pirine and Patrick, but they didn't really play the starters much, and that's a good thing. I heard that Dunlap has been doing amazing. I think he had a good scrimmage, and from what I'm hearing at a training camp, he's just dominating on a daily basis. I know that guy's got a lot left in the tank. He's going to have a great year, especially with the upgrades on that line and everyone a year older, a year wiser. So it's going to be good for him. You didn't hear much about anybody else. I know that DJ Reader played a few snaps. They probably had Gino in for a couple snaps. You didn't hear anything about Hubbard, Lawson, Andrew Brown. So I I would have liked to have heard a little bit from those guys, but that's all right. You know, I don't know how much they were protecting them. So we didn't get really much word out of the defensive line and the linebackers for this. A lot of the praise that we've heard coming out of the scrimmage has been for the offensive side of the ball. But let's move on to the final defensive spot, and that's the defensive backfield. I didn't hear anything about the safeties. Again, really nothing about the D-line, nothing about the linebackers, nothing about the safeties. And the only thing I did hear about the defense was that Coach Taylor praised William Jackson on doing very well. And I know he's a great player, and I'm sure he did very well at the scrimmage. I almost felt that Zach Taylor was trying to keep his confidence up because uh, I think a couple practices before the scrimmage, he got beat by Tate. And, you know, there was, it was all over Instagram and, and Twitter. So I was thinking that that could get in Will Jax's head. And maybe Coach Taylor was thinking the same thing and said, you know, I'm going to make a point to single this guy out because he is a great player. Yeah, he got beat a couple times in camp, but that's not, that's not the be-all, end-all. So that was about all we heard. I, I think the backup corners played semi-mediocre. So you would have liked to have heard better news out of those guys. But again, just a scrimmage. I don't want to make any presumptions on this. It's just fun to have some NFL tape game scrimmage to analyze. So I'm just speaking my mind on these positions and having a great time doing so. So really, I don't think anyone's done enough to get themselves cut. 
you know, Burrow showed that he's got poise and he's going to be what we think he's going to be, an accurate quarterback and a leader who's going to put some wins on the board. And the offensive line, you know, I didn't get to that. They said that Jonah Williams has been playing well and he played well in the scrimmage. Michael Jordan played well in the scrimmage. They said Bobby Hart had a good scrimmage. Hopkins, they're, they're looking all right on that offensive line. I know there was a couple false starts. I think there were four altogether. Two of them were on the outside position, so that might have been a wide receiver or a tight end flinching. I know that Jordan had one. They said he was chomping at the bit on that play to go tear apart a linebacker, so he, he got a little anxious. I get it. It's sometimes hard to remember that snap count. And they didn't define who the second false start was on. The one thing that I did hear about the offensive line was that they did allow a free rusher at the quarterback. There was someone on the interior, I don't know if it was a center or a guard, that let a free rusher in. They didn't publicize the name, but they immediately pulled him out of the scrimmage after that. So you know what? Good. Send a message. Send a message to the O-line. If you're going to let someone run free at Burrow, we're not going to trust you to play. So that'll do it for analyzing the scrimmage. No injuries. The rookie quarterback played great. The first round tackle that we're all thinking about played great. So there's a lot of good that came out of it. They're going to be scrimmaging next Friday. I can't wait to analyze it. I think it's going to be on the radio, so hopefully I'll be able to hear some of these plays, and that'll make me a little bit better informed when I start talking about it to you guys. But either way, scrimmage are ready. Next thing you know, Chargers are coming into town. Let's go. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, pal? All right, man. I just want to say you had it nailed, unfortunately, with Trey Waynes. You know, they were saying it was going to be like an eight-week injury. And when you and I were talking the whole time, you were saying, watch out, man. This could be a year-long thing. Exactly. I mean, a pec injury, especially when you have surgery on it, anytime you extend your arm, you have a potential uh, catastrophe on your hand to tearing it again. You know, they came out with the old, you know, a uh, couple months. But I, when I heard it, I said, he's done for the year. If he is healthy by the time he gets back up to speed, the season might be three-quarters of the way over. So they'll probably just keep him out. And hopefully that the other corners step up. It's going to be interesting, hopefully, that uh, William Jackson can lock down the other cornerback. So... There's no uh, worry on that side, and we'll just maybe have a revolving door if need be on the other opposite uh, Jackson. Well, Tom, do you think they're going to sign another corner? I highly doubt it. Any free agent out there now, due to the fact that you know they want to resign Mixon, uh, so any top corner that's out there now, I don't think so. I don't see them spending big money to replace Wayne. So, Tom, moving to the offensive side of the ball, A.J. Green went down with a hamstring injury. How, how are you feeling about this? I'm, I'm a little worried. Uh, you know, this is going to be something, not just A.J. Green, like we talked on previous podcasts. This is going to be a major problem with all players. Tweaking hamstrings, pulling groins, Due to the fact, like I said before, they're going to just go running start into the season. You know, it's a shame Major Green has bad luck so far. Uh, hopefully it's not that major that they're keeping him out for precautions. But he's just the beginning of this type of problem. Thankfully that the wide receivers are deep on this team. 
Auden Tate's taking advantage of the wide receivers that are out. John Ross that was out tending to his uh, son. So guys are taking advantage of the situation, which is good. But, man, we just want to see A.J. Green with Joe Burrow. But hopefully we can see him before week one. Yeah, I was excited about the initial uh, practices when Burrow was first starting to throw to A.J. Green. I was like, wow, this is the beginning of new days. And, you know, I just yeah. really want to make sure that A.J. can stay in the lineup. And to have him go it's, down already is just not good. It is tough. I, and he must be the most frustrated out of, out of us all because um, he's a competitor. Trust me, it's not going to be the, the only guy that's going to happen to. And they're, and they're long, Frank. They're, they could drag on the whole season, those type of injuries. So it's, uh, it's a shame. All right, Tom, let's move on to the scrimmage. So we heard some news coming out of the scrimmage. What are your thoughts on, on what you heard? Well, you know, of course, with the way Burrow looked was, you know, great to hear. But I was impressed to hear good things coming from uh, Michael Jordan. That's a guy that, you know, kind of struggled last year. He's looking to build off of last year, and that that was great news. And uh, Auden Tate again. I mean, this guy's taking advantage of the situation, and uh, hopefully that, you know, he can um, fortify his spot on there that with A.J. Green – like we just talked about being hurt and you know John Ross with his track record it's good to know that Auden Tate, Erickson, Stanley Morgan these guys are taking advantage of the situation and with a quarterback like Joe Burrow the ball's going to be thrown around at different guys and it's good to see that Jonah Williams was looking good leaving Mixon out wide so good news on the the O-line front and thankfully, no major injuries so far other than Trey Williams early on. Wow, Tom. Excellent takes as always. You do, pal. All right. I'd like to bring in a special guest, another excellent football mind brought to us by the ZD Network. It's USA Today writer Stephen Ruiz. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Stephen Ruiz. Writer for the USA Today. All right, we're here with Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? All right, thanks for coming on the show. Um, let's let's get right down to business. So, how do you think the NFL has handled the pandemic so far, and what would you change in their approach if you could change anything? I thought they didn't handle the timing of it correctly. Like it was really late in the game when they came to a lot of important decisions. I thought it took them too long to get the protocols approved for each team. I think it happened like a week or two before training camp. That was my one concern from the outside looking in. It seemed like they were kind of just hoping that this thing went away and it solved itself, which I think even looking back in March and April, you should should have known that that wasn't going to be the case. Stephen, do you think they're going to have a 17-week season and full playoffs at this point? What's your estimation on what's going to happen with that? Like, cynically, I think they're going to push through it no matter what. Like, even if they shouldn't, if it comes out, like if there's an outbreak or in a couple of locker rooms, I, I think they're just going to push through it. They're going to try to get the season played no matter what. Like, if I think they had the, the player's best interest in mind, I don't think I, I would be skeptical that they would get through a 17-week season, but I think they're going to try to just get it done no matter what, and 
I mean, they have the resources to do it. Maybe they'll have to switch some things up. I don't think it's going to be a regular 17-game season, but I think it's going to happen. We're going to get to the playoffs. You know what, Steven, I agree with you on that. Um, let's move on to the Bengals for a second. So how do you think Cincinnati's going to fare in the AFC North, and how are those teams going to line up this year? When the season ends, what do you think they're going to be ranked? And again, how will the Bengals fare? If it, was a, if it wasn't so tough of a division, I think the Bengals would have an outside chance of competing for a wild card spot, but there's just so many good teams. Like, I'm expecting the Ravens to be, if not the best team in the NFL, the, the second best team behind the Chiefs. And then the Steelers, I... I mean, it all depends on what Roethlisberger looks like coming back. It's hard. It's impossible to say what he's going to look like. But that Steelers team is pretty good, and they did. They almost made the playoffs with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And then even the Browns are talented. Maybe they have a competent coach now, and they get the most out of that talent. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals challenge the Browns for third place, but I mean, I have to pick the Bengals for last place right now. But I do think they're trending in the right direction. They just have to get a few more issues solved. I liked their offseason. I like that they finally spent some money in free agency. It kind of like uh, backfired already with Trey Wayne's getting hurt. I really like their approach to building the team. It seemed like they were intent on adding speed and tack- people that could tackle to the defense, which was really a big problem last year. And, I mean, on offense, it all comes down to Burrow. Burrow is what they think he's going to be and what a lot of people think he's going to be. I think they'll be fine no matter, even if the offensive line isn't one of the better ones in the league. Interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on the way the division's going to pan out. Unfortunately, it looks like the Ravens are the team to beat right now. And Roethlisberger's elbow is, I guess, going to dictate a lot on how that team does this year. Um, okay, so let's move on to the NFL in general. Who do you think is going to make the Super Bowl? If you had to bet a team from the AFC and a team from the NFC on making the Super Bowl and then ultimately winning it, who would be those teams? I'm going to say the Chiefs from the AFC. People are going to like get tired of picking them just because they won last year and they've been arguably the best team for the last few years. But I'm going to pick them because I think they made the Super Bowl in spite of the fact that they weren't entirely healthy. Like Patrick Mahomes wasn't healthy for for the full season, and their offense was still amazing. I think they're going to get better, especially with Steve Spagnola and his second-year coordinator. I mean, the Ravens could challenge them, but even when they've played the last few years, it seems like it seems like they haven't had an answer for that offense. I don't think they're going to find one. I don't think anyone has an answer for that offense. And then in the NFC, I think it's more wide open, but I'm just going to go with the favorites and say the Saints. Like, you look at their roster, and you can't you can't find a weakness. It's the deepest roster in the league. The weakness might be Drew Brees and the fact that he's on the wrong side of 40 now, and his arm could fall off at any moment now. So if your biggest weakness is a future Hall of Fame quarterback and one who's still producing at a Pro Bowl level, then he's got a good thing going. Yeah, I agree on that, and I, and I agree that Breeze still has it, but you just never know when that over-40 drop-off is right. going to occur. Maybe late in the season he starts getting a little bit of that dead-arm thing going. Um, okay, to win it, if you had to place money on the Chiefs versus the Saints to win the Super Bowl, say say the Chiefs are giving them three. Who would you who would you pick? I'm still picking the Chiefs. I cannot bet against Patrick Mahomes after what I've seen. And I was kind of skeptical of him. Like, I wasn't high on him before the draft. I was kind of like one of those people that are like, maybe he's a product of, like, what's around him. But after last year, like, it's hard to find weaknesses in his game. And, like, it's my my philosophy to always go with the better quarterback. And I think the Chiefs are going to have the better quarterback in every game they play. Yeah, I agree. I think he's on top of the league right now. It kind of stinks because we had Tom Brady in the AFC for so long, so it was going to be a barrier for anyone to get by him. And now it seems that Mahomes is going to carry that torch, so it's unfortunate for us Bengal fans. 
But there's always oh. there's always a chance for a down year. The Patriots have a down year too, so the Bengals might be able to sneak a uh, Super Bowl or two in there if Joe Burrow is what we think he's going to be. Oh, that's what I'm hoping. Uh, you know, I'm hoping in the next dec- decade they can make at least one, or maybe two. We'll see what happens. All right, Stephen, last question for now. I know that you do a lot of ranking and analysis of the NFL quarterbacks. So where would you throw Joe Burrow into the mix, just say, of the of the estimated 32 starting quarterbacks? Where would he be and why? Funny, because I'm actually working on quarterback rankings right now, and I actually have my order all set up. And I have him, I probably have him low for Bengals fan, but I have him right behind Josh Allen. I'm not the biggest Josh Allen fan. I'm just expecting there to be a transition period for Burrow just because he did have it so good at LSU. He's not going to have it so good in Cincinnati, at least early on. Like He's not, he's not going to have a great offensive line. I think LSU actually won the award for best offensive line in the in the nation. One thing they were able to do was get all five receivers out the route because they didn't have to keep any extra guys in the block. And I don't think he's going to have that luxury with the Bengals. I think he's going to have to adjust to NFL athleticism because one of the big parts of his game is his mobility. Like, he doesn't necessarily get a lot of credit for it but he is mobile in the pocket and outside of the pocket and even like Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray need a time to adjust to NFL athletes so I think there's going to be a kind of a, a rough period early on and then we're going to see in the second half he's going to start to get comfortable and then I think going into next year he's going to jump in everybody's rankings I think going into 2021 people are going to see him as a top 15 quarterback bordering on top 10. Oh that's great I hope it happens that way Excellent analysis on all this stuff, Stephen. How can people find you on social media? I'm at the Stephen Ruiz, and that's Stephen with a V, and Ruiz is R-U-I-Z. I'm on Twitter. I'm mostly just on Twitter all the time. I, I never log off. It's a problem. Well, excellent. Thanks for coming by, man. Right, anytime. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right. Let's talk about the safety group. I know we were talking about it last week, and I wanted to bring it over to the podcast. So we were all set to talk about the hybrid linebacker role and and Sean Williams. And then Sean Williams goes down with the calf injury, which kind of put a little dent in our plans. But now it seems that he's going to be back for week one. So let's first address the safety position with and without him in the lineup. Yeah, so without him, we'll probably just move Von Bell back there. I'm not even sure who's going to really quote-unquote start. I'm not entirely positive on that. Even if Williams is healthy, Von might get the start over him. But I think the one interesting thing is they're both very good box-type safeties. They both defend the run well, which is something we didn't do well last year. I hope he comes back because I'd like to be able to utilize him and Von Bell at the same time. They're kind of similar players, so we shouldn't lose too much in a general defensive setting like a 3-4 normal nickel look with just those two back there. Okay, and then what about Jesse Bates? What are your thoughts on him and his strengths and weaknesses? There's a graph I saw tweeted out today with uh, because Earl Thomas got released. They were showing all these graphs. Uh, when a safety is targeted, how much they're targeted, how well they do against those, like, and against throws against them. And Jesse Bates was right there, not with the elite tier, but just below it. The only thing I see on tape sometimes is he likes to try to jump things. He'll see a crosser in front of him. That's the one time he'll get beat deep is that he sees the crosser, the quarterback's looking there, and he starts going towards it a little bit. 
And I mean, as a safety, when you're the single high deep safety, you've got to stay back. I know that the interception would be great right there, but you got to be careful with uh, them bringing somebody else behind him. But yeah, his main strengths, I mean, he plays the ball well. He plays the run well from deep sets, which is great. That's rare with a safety like him because he's, he's a deep safety. He's not a box guy. Yeah, I guess they have the best of both worlds with the two guys that are more in the box guys and then having Bates ranked so highly. I didn't realize he was he was that effective last year. That's great. Kind of like that tier two, tier three type safeties, like Justin Reed and people like that. They're not household names, but they're very good at their job. So, Sands, what do you think of alternate uses for our safeties? I know we talked about moving Sean Williams down into a linebacker role like they did a little bit last year. And what, what are your thoughts on any additional roles that these safeties can do? Yeah, we can always move them into a linebacker role. That's called like a big nickel or a big dime look. Um, where we replace a linebacker with a safety. I especially, I, I like Von Bell in that a lot. I, I know he did really well with that in New Orleans. They gave that look a lot. We ran cover one and cover three about 66% of the time, which is having one safety back there, which will probably be Jesse Bates. So we usually had a box safety. Those two are a normal trend in the NFL. You think that sounds like a lot, and then you look around the NFL, and we're actually about average about with having those two coverages. Getting Von Bell was by design. We want we have our guy that's our single high deep guy, and then we want more of this uh, box safety. One idea would be to make him just a hybrid linebacker, put him in there for a big nickel or big dime. The other thing that I think is interesting, and I think we could – run it started in the 90s with gary patterson at tcu that's a 4-2-5 look with three real safeties on the field not taking up a linebacker position like a nickel where you have four down linemen two linebackers and then instead of having a nickel cornerback you have a safety there you don't really lose much in run defense like you would with a nickel corner they're probably going to swing in for more of a 4-3 look so they'll get out there the, for, the offense sets their formation, and then the linebackers are going to shift so that the safety can take the weak linebacker spot. It's a really cool idea. I think we could run it. We don't base out of it or anything. We'll still use 3-4 and 5-2, maybe a little bit of 4-3 with, with all these linebackers we drafted. But I think it's something that we can give an extra look at people. You can really scheme up a lot of good pressures out of it, bringing safeties off the edge rather than uh, your cornerback or linebacker because they're faster than the linebackers and they're usually better pass rushers than a cornerback. You know, Sans, that's interesting. As you were talking about it, I was thinking maybe that three safety look could be something that we run against the Ravens since they don't have a lot of great, great receivers and they're always a threat in the running game. What, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so you probably don't want to run it against a team with a really great slot wide receiver just because they'll take advantage of a safety on them. The Ravens, I don't know who their slot wide receiver is, to be honest. And I don't know, they run a lot of 12 and 21, so they don't always even have a slot. It is something that we could run against them. I think the Chargers ran somewhat of a look like that in that playoff game, but that was before Lamar developed his passing. But I think it's something that that would help us. Better than last year having Preston Brown and Nick Vigil try to chase after him, we could have somebody quicker like Von Beller. Sean Williams chasing him. Sands, how do people find you on social media? I'm at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. Excellent stuff, as always, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, talk to you later.
That'll do it for this episode. Next week, we're going to continue to review the Bengals' headlines and talk about the roster. We're getting close to the season, so it's going to get more and more exciting as we go. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. And I'd like to thank the ZD Network for continuing to bring in excellent, excellent guests. Stay tuned for some more surprise guests on the upcoming episodes, as well as more of Tom McLevy, Sands, and Seb Talk Sports. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.